The Weigelcast is part of the Hashtag Pressing Program, presented by GE. Welcome to Slate's interview podcast, The Weigelcast. I'm Slate's political reporter, Dave Weigel, and my guest this week is Chris Jacola, the president of the Club for Growth. It's a conservative organization that's been spending big to defeat moderate Republicans for more than a decade. Chicola took over in 2009, which means he was at the helm as Tea Party candidates upset the establishment in 2010 and 2012. This summer, though, after the club spent more than $3 million, Tea Party candidate Chris McDaniel failed to win a Senate primary in Mississippi. We started by talking about that. Thanks for joining me today. Sure. Great to be with you. So... The primary season isn't over, but how would you rate and how would you assess the campaigns run by the quote-unquote moderate Republicans? Well, two things. One is, um, you know, the Club for Growth was a lonely actor uh, for many years. Uh, There's a lot of people that are now focused on primaries much um, more aggressively than they were before. But in the long term, you wonder, you know, do they create more confusion for the Republicans? And Mississippi would be the best Example. So, you know, Chris McDaniel probably got the most Republican votes. Um, and so they broadened uh, the electorate, which was smart uh, from a tactical standpoint and from just the mechanics of campaigns. But, it, it, you know, you have to ask, so wh- who are the Republicans and what are they willing to fight for? So when you attack the candidate that um, says, elect me and I'll bring you more freedom, uh, and support and vigorously fight for the candidate that says, elect me and I'll bring you more government, you know, it really clouds who the Republicans are. So, well, to be clear, in, in Mississippi, Chris McDaniel's campaign, some volunteers for it are still looking to see if some people who voted in the Democratic primary went and voted in the Republican primary, which would not have been legal. Uh, is, is, has the club moved on, or are, are you are you going to support any any efforts that may change the outcome of the race before it's certified there, or is the, is the Mississippi race done as far as you're concerned? Well, from the club, I can only you know from the club standpoint, that race is pretty much done. Um, we're not lawyers. We you know, don't really study, you know, campaign or election integrity. So if there is a uh, problem there, um, it's somebody's role, but not ours, to figure that out. So we'll uh, focus on the, the races we continue to be in. The bottom line is we're involved in a process, and we think the process is moving in the right direction. And we think by the end of, you know, or beginning of 2015, when the new Congress is sworn in, there'll be more pro-growth members than there are today. And so that's what matters the most. We're disappointed in the outcome in Mississippi, but we're undeterred in, in our support of champions of economic freedom elsewhere. Well, this Cochrane campaign seems almost unique in that there was a targeting of conservative voters by Cochrane attacking Daniel on, on some points and targeting of, of, of more liberal voters. That hasn't always happened. In other races, it seems as though the way that the establishment, I just keep using that shorthand, uh, saves somebody from a conservative challenge is by having them portray themselves as more conservative. Do you see the Co- the Cochrane race as as kind of a one-off, or, or do you, or you worry that there might be now that the Chamber for Commerce at, at all have defeated uh, a few people in primaries that they're going to see if there are ways to reach to the left because they have been reaching to the right to beat you guys. Well, every race is unique. I do think uh, Mississippi is very unique. You have a situation there where. The candidate himself was, um, you know, um, supported by a a, a cast of of very influential, you know, folks in Mississippi like Haley Barber and his his nephews. And so they've been working in Mississippi forever. Uh, Obviously, Haley Barber was governor. 
they have relationships in all kinds of communities because I don't know that they think of themselves. I mean, they're Republicans, but and this isn't meant to be overly critical. But they're lobbyists who, um, you know, who have clients with all kinds of views, and so, you know, their whole message was unabashedly elect Senator Cochran so he can bring more government and do things for you. Cochran didn't run, at least to my knowledge, on any plank of the Republican platform, never would even hinted that any of that was important to him. And that's what's so disappointing. And But I don't think that works very many places. It seems to have worked in this race uh, under unique circumstances in a runoff. But I'm not sure it's going to work everywhere else. Idaho, certainly Mike Simpson tried to portray himself as the conservative. Uh, we think his, his record didn't support that um, description. But uh, he had a lot of help, and he had a lot of help from what you might call special interest. So I think Mississippi was a bit of a uh, unique circumstance. I think you'll see most of the time candidates trying to portray themselves as more conservative than their records may support. When these guys have been elected to Congress, now there have been hinge points when they have when they've been they've compromised. But in general, the issues that are being brought up and the issues that were once easy for them to vote for are now problematic for them to vote for. They they seem to have been defined by the club and by other other groups like this. Uh, the first I'm thinking of the, is the Export Import Bank because I uh, this is something you guys have been talking about for a while that I think was perfectly uncontroversial for Republicans to vote for 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 years. It's actually more controversial on the left. Uh, can you describe just how? The club, the Export Import Bank became something people could be rallied behind, and conservatives should should get interested in. Well, it's surprising how the left hasn't. I mean, this is corporate welfare at its finest. Um, and it, you know, we think uh, the small things matter at at the club because they're symbolic of the big things. And if you can't accomplish the small things, then you're never going to get to the big things. And Exxon Bank is a relatively small, relatively obscure program. But it's indefensible. It's uh, corporate welfare that goes to, uh, you know, 80-plus percent of it goes to very large, very profitable corporations that don't need taxpayer protection. So um, so it's a symbol, and it's a symbol that if that has a moral element. If you can't eliminate or reform corporate welfare, then how can you, you know, have the audacity to talk about reforming social welfare? So... I think Republicans are being shamed into this a bit um, because it is indefensible and it's a program that we simply can't afford and I think it's a symbol of bigger problems. But what surprises me even more is how progressives can support this because um, it seems to be counter to everything that they claim to be for. So there's a few. I've heard Alan Grayson has uh, come out and spoken against it, but it really should be a bipartisan opposition to renewing the Exxon Bank because it is indefensible. How did you get into this as an issue and, and come come to see it as something that had to be had to be phased out? Because I, I think some of, some of the same forces that are running against you in primaries have pointed out that you know, CTB Corporation benefited years ago from financing from the Exxon Bank. What is it that made you look at this and say, well, this has benefited a business that my, my family owned in the past, but this is just not acceptable? Well, the, the the backstory to that is I was CEO of a, of a family business called CTB International. Forty percent of our sales are outside of the United States. We sold products in over 100 countries. And you know what? I never heard the words XM Bank once when I was CEO. Now, apparently someone had because um, the 
because apparently we did use some of their financing in our sales. But my point is, you know, we sat around and never once in budgetary or sales planning ever talk about Exxon Bank and say that this is critical to our success. I wouldn't have any clue if it didn't exist. Um, so it made no difference to our business. It didn't save one job. It didn't create any opportunities that didn't exist before. So when people pointed out that we used it, I said, well, I'm not even sure we used it. Maybe that makes me a bad CEO, but it, what it points out is it didn't matter. We'll get back to my interview with Chris Chicola in a moment after a quick word from our sponsor. The Weigelcast is part of the Hashtag Pressing program presented by GE. Hashtag Pressing is working with some of the country's best news organizations to bring you thoughtful discussions of policy, not heated arguments about politics. I'd like to thank GE for making the program possible. And now back to my talk with Chris Chicola. It seems, though, though recently the Club for Growth has been more successful in electing people who vote the way that they said they were going to vote. The Chamber of Commerce, if I can use that as an umbrella, gets people in there, asks them to vote one way on immigration or on the Export-Import Bank, and they, they, don't, they don't do it. Why do you think the, the, the club is generally pretty successful in making sure when people, when people get there, they, they continue to vote the way that you guys have, have issued and asked, asked for votes? Well, you know, we have a vetting process that's developed over um, probably 15, 16 years. And so when you interview hundreds and hundreds of candidates, you can kind of tell the good ones from the bad ones, and, um, and you can tell the ones that are sincere in their beliefs and those that read your website. And so I think that we've been able to, you know, kind of develop the uh, uh, antenna to be able to tell the kind of people that, if successful in their election, will hold true to their beliefs once they get a chance to serve. And, you know, not everybody's perfect that we've supported, but... You know, there's been very few big disappointments. So um, you can tell when people really believe things and why they believe things, uh, and those that just kind of deliver the um, customary, I'm a conservative Republican line that uh, basically every Republican in Congress says, but very few of them do. I asked about the Export-Import Bank. I asked about that in part because is one goal here to make voters see Republicans as the party that is trying to save you money and stop crony capitalism, and then the Democrats are the party that defend that. Well, yeah, you know, the Republicans after the 2012 election did this, you know, kind of navel-gazing analysis, and I think it's kind of silly because their platform's fine. The things they say they believe in are actually supported by probably 70-plus percent of Americans, limited government, personal responsibility, fiscal responsibility, spending less than you, you know, than you, than you take in. Um, but they are very timid in their uh, advocacy of what they say they believe in public. You know, you back to Romney when, when they said, you know, Governor Romney, you're a rich guy. He should have said, you're damn right, I'm a rich guy, and I can make you rich too because I understand what creates jobs, wealth, and economic growth. And so come with me and we can all be rich. Um, I'm just like Tony Robbins. And so, you know, rather than running from the the policies that Republicans say they believe in, they need to embrace them in a very enthusiastic, compelling, and competent way. And, you know, you get people like Denny Reberg running in Montana, who, which Romney won by double digits, by the way, running against entitlement reforms in, in the Ryan budget. If you want somebody that's against that stuff, you're going to vote for the Democrat. And so I just think Republicans need to get over their uh, fear of their own message and embrace it enthusiastically. And uh, I think they'll do just fine. Well, thank you for talking to me about it. Sure. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. 
That's it for this week's Weigelcast. Thanks to our producer, Alexis Diao, to Slate senior producer, Mike Volo, and to the executive producer of Slate's podcast, Andy Bowers. If you like what you hear, please write a review on iTunes, and please check out the ever-growing universe of Slate podcasts. I'm Dave Weigel, and I'll see you next week.